Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. So Daniel chapter 7 and verses 1 through to 14. Daniel's dream of four beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, Get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, and it crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the formed beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, Daniel chapter 7. What is going on over here? I mean, with all these weird, surreal, bizarre imagery of hybrid 
beast and this crazy boastful little horn. I mean, what is going on? Is that, is that just meant to be, uh, uh, be a way of confusing us and making sure that we can't understand? Well, it is confusing. But it wouldn't have been confusing for the original readers. Daniel chapter 7 is what scholars call apocalyptic literature. And this type of literature was very common and well known in those days. And it's a very colorful way of communicating. And therefore it's a very effective way of communicating if you're from that culture. Our problem, of course is we're not from that culture. And so we don't understand what it's talking about. And therefore this leads to a whole, whole well, the ability to misinterpret it. And there has been a lot of misinterpretation of this passage as people have tried to use it to, to predict the end of times and so on. Now the closest thing we have today to apocalyptic literature is political cartoons. Political cartoons also use very colorful language. And they also use bizarre imagery in order to communicate. And they do communicate very effectively, but only if you're from that culture and you understand all the references. I mean, let's take this political cartoon as, as an example. Over here we have an elephant and a donkey and a guy all on camels. And the donkey and the elephant are having an argument about which way to go. And the other guy's just shaking his head and saying, at this rate, we'll be lucky if we get there by New Year. I mean, that's just bizarre. It's crazy. What, what is that all about? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. First of all, donkeys and elephants don't ride on camels. Secondly, donkeys and elephants don't argue. They can't talk. It's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But of course it makes sense if you understand that a donkey and an elephant are the two symbols for the two different political parties in the United States of America. And that the three of them riding camels is a clear allusion to the three wise men. And so the implication, of course, is they're not so wise. And with all this bickering and arguing... They'll never get anywhere. So it makes a lot of sense and it's a very effective and very colorful way of communicating if you understand all the references. So, how would the original readers have understood Daniel chapter 7 with its bizarre beasts, the four beasts that come up out of the sea? So you have the first beast in verse 4, which is a lion with eagle's wings. The second beast in verse 5 is a bear. The third beast in verse 6 is a leopard with four wings and four heads. And the fourth beast is a terrifying beast with iron teeth and ten horns in verse 7. How would the original readers have understood this? Well, as a result of archaeological discoveries, uh, we have discovered uh, many of these sort of hybrid animals on the walls and the entrance gates 
of these ancient cities, such as the Assyrian winged bull with its human head, or the Persian winged lion with its human head, or the Babylonian winged lion with bull horns. Of course, these hybrid animals were depicting their god that was meant to be protecting their city. But as such, they actually became a symbol for that particular city and for that nation. Just like the Eiffel Tower is a symbol for Paris and France, and the Statue of Liberty is a symbol for New York and the United States of America. And so these four beasts become a very colorful and an effective way of describing four different nations, four different kingdoms. The first, the lion with eagle wings, represents Babylon. The second, Mede. The third, Persia. And the fourth, Greece, with Alexander the Great and his successors. But what is the significance of them coming up out of the sea? In verse 3, we are told that these beasts come up out of the sea. But what is the significance of them coming out of the sea? Well, the sea was a symbol for prehistoric evil and chaos. The ancients believed that God had to subdue this prehistoric evil and chaos, which was depicted as a raging sea full of monsters and beasts. They they believed that God had to subdue this prehistoric evil and chaos in order to bring about creation. And they lived in this constant fear that the whole world would collapse back into a state of chaos. So by saying that these beasts, these kingdoms, came out of the sea, is a way of saying that these kingdoms are the forces of evil and chaos within the world that are trying to pull the world back into a state of chaos. It's a very colorful and imaginative way of communicating. And the worst of these kingdoms is the fourth kingdom, this terrifying beast with its ten horns. Now a horn was a symbol of power and strength. But in this particular context, it's referring to the ruler, the king of that particular kingdom. And then we read in verse 8. Verse 8 says, While I was thinking about the horns, There before me was another horn, a little one. Now by referring to it as a little one is clearly, uh, the writer has been derogatory there. (laughs) A little one, which came up among them. And the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. This final king was the worst of the lot. And he was arrogant And he spoke boastfully. And just at a point when you think it's all too late. That evil and chaos has finally won. 
that these nations and particularly this last king is about to pull the whole world back into a state of chaos and you're just about to think it's, it's too late, then all of a sudden the scene changes and we get a glimpse of heaven. And we read in verse 9, As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days, that's God, took His seat. And then at the end of verse 10, it says, The court was seated and the books were open. This is a picture of God pronouncing judgment on evil. And just when the world looks like a mess and evil looks like it's raining and it's winning, Daniel suddenly gives us a vision that God is still seated on His throne. And He will pronounce judgment on evil. And the beast will be destroyed. And after God has pronounced judgment and the beast has been destroyed, we read in verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. In complete contrast to the beastliness of these four kingdoms, which come out of the evil sea, this figure looks like a human and comes on the clouds of heaven. He doesn't come from the evil sea, but rather he comes from God. In that sense, it means that he represents God and he mediates God's goodness to the world. In verse 14, we read that he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language served him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Just like Adam was given authority by God to rule over creation, to mediate God's good rule, so this figure is given authority to rule on God's behalf and to mediate God's good rule to all creation. So who exactly is this little horn? And who exactly is this one like the Son of Man? Well, lucky for us, an angel gives Daniel the explanation. And we read in verse 23. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. That's referring to Greece under Alexander the Great. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Alexander the Great conquered the whole known world in four years. The ten horns are the ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. So the ten kings are referring to the ten successors of Alexander the Great. And then another king will emerge and that's referring to Antiochus IV, who murders his brother 
and his brother's two sons in order to take the throne. That's what it means by he will subdue three kings. And we read in verse 25, He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. Soon as he came to power, he began to persecute the Jews. He invaded Jerusalem on the Sabbath. He, he killed most of the men. He took most of the women and the children away as slaves. He outlawed many of the Jewish rituals and customs. And then he desecrated the temple by setting up a statue of Zeus in the temple and made sacrifices to Zeus in the Jewish temple. And this is what the Jews would refer to as the abomination that causes desolation. We go on in the end of verse 25. The holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times and half a time. The faithful people of God suffered persecution under Antiochus IV for three and a half years. That's what it means by a time, a times and half a time. And what we discover over here is that God's faithful people are not immune from suffering and persecution that the beast, that evil causes in the world. Initially, this applied to the Jews who suffered that terrible persecution by Antiochus IV. Jesus, in Mark chapter 13, reapplies this prophecy to refer to both the Jews and the Christians who would suffer when Rome destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. And Revelation chapter 13 reapplies this prophecy to refer to the Christians who suffered persecution under the Roman emperors. And so it goes on throughout all of history. We find that there have been various nations, corporations and institutions that have been very beastly and have caused suffering and persecution to many people. Suffering is inevitable if you remain faithful to God in a faithless world of greed and exploitation. However, Daniel 7 gives us a vision of hope. God is still seated on His throne. And we read in verse 26, But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. God will pronounce judgment on evil. And the beast will be destroyed. And then after the judgment, we read in verse 27, Then the sovereign, sovereignty, power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all rulers will serve and obey Him. Over here we discover who the one like the Son of Man symbolizes. The one who is like the Son of Man symbolizes the holy people. The faithful people of God. The faithful people who have suffered persecution 
but have remained faithful to God. And because they have remained faithful to God, God is going to vindicate them. They're going to experience salvation. They're going to inherit an eternal kingdom that will and they're going to rule with God in that eternal kingdom over creation forever and ever. So the, the one like the Son of Man is a symbol for God's faithful people who suffer persecution. But then God pronounces judgment on evil. And they get vindicated and they experience salvation. They inherit an eternal kingdom where they rule with God over creation forever and ever. And so this is a great assurance. Daniel 7 is a great assurance to us that God will achieve His plans of salvation. And it's a great encouragement for us. For as we look, to, look around the world today, it looks as though evil and chaos is ruling. It looks like it's rampant. We see big corporations exploiting and taking advantage of smaller suppliers and the poor. We see corrupt politicians. We see corrupt media. We see dishonest bankers. We see big powerful nations justifying their evil practices of torture. We see terrorist groups, extremists and fundamentalists. And it looks as though there are so many beasts coming out of the sea and it feels like they're just causing so much suffering and persecution. And it feels like they're just going to pull the whole world into a state of chaos. But in the midst of all of this, Daniel gives us a vision of hope. God is still seated on His throne. He will pronounce judgment on evil. And those who remain faithful will be vindicated and will experience salvation. They will inherit an eternal kingdom where they will rule with God over creation forever. But we have even a greater assurance than Daniel chapter 7. The death and resurrection of Jesus. For just as the beast symbolizes the nation and the king who represents the nation. So the one like the Son of Man represents the faithful people of God and the King who represents them and stands for them. And the title, the Son of Man, was one of Jesus' favorite ways of referring to Himself. And of course the phrase, the Son of Man, can simply mean or be simply a way of referring to yourself as saying well this mere human when talking about yourself but there are certain occasions where Jesus uses this phrase not as just a way of talking about himself but making a direct and clear allusion to Daniel chapter 7 for just as the one like the son of man in Daniel chapter 7 is given authority from God to rule so Jesus says in Mark chapter 2 that the Son of Man, referring to Himself, has authority to forgive sins and is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, as the King who represents His faithful people, has been given authority 
by God. And just as the, son, the, the one like the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 experiences great suffering and persecution, so Jesus, whenever He speaks about His death, whenever He predicts His suffering and His death, He refers to Himself as the Son of Man. One example is in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 where Jesus says the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus as the King who represents His people suffers persecution on their behalf. And He did suffer. But it was through His suffering that God achieves His plans of salvation. And He did suffer. He was trampled on by the beast. He was torn between the Jewish nationalism and Rome imperialism. And they crucified Him. But three days later, He rose victorious. And He is now seated at the right hand of God. Ruling, just as he had predicted in Mark chapter 14 and verse 62. At his trial, he says to the high priest and all those who are falsely accusing him, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. For Jesus' resurrection and ascension was a clear sign that God had vindicated Jesus and that God had pronounced judgment on all the beasts, on evil. And therefore we have a sure and a certain hope that when Jesus returns, all evil will be completely destroyed. And the whole of creation will be restored. Everything will be the way that God originally wanted it to be. Have you ever felt that it's or just wondered if it's worth standing firm and being a faithful witness? Have you ever felt, well, is it worth trying to do good, trying to make a difference in this world? Have you ever felt, well, wouldn't it be just a lot easier to give up Save yourself a lot of trouble and hardship and hard work. You ever felt like that? Well, then Daniel 7 encourages us. Encourages us to stand firm. It gives us a vision of hope. Yes, there will be persecution. Yes, there will be hardships. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, it does look as though evil is going to win. But God is still seated on His throne. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, God has already pronounced judgment on evil. And this gives us a sure and a certain hope. That when Jesus returns, all evil will be destroyed. 
And if we remain faithful, we will be vindicated. We will experience salvation. We will inherit an eternal kingdom and we will rule with Jesus over all creation forever and ever. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. For God is still seated on His throne. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often as we look at the world and all the problems of the world, we just feel overwhelmed. Father, it looks like the, the waves of evil are just rushing over us and over the world. Father, won't you give us that vision? Won't you lift our eyes up above all the chaos and the evil to see that you are still seated on your throne? And Father, we thank you that you have proved us through Jesus' death and resurrection. That you have pronounced judgment on evil. That we do have a sure and a certain hope. And Father, as we feel weak and weary, won't you encourage us by your Spirit? Won't you encourage us to remain faithful? Won't you encourage us to persevere, to do good, to do right, to stand up for the poor and the oppressed? To make a difference in this world. Knowing that ultimately we will win. Because you are on the throne. We ask this all. In the name of Jesus. Amen.